one, and we are live. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Jonathan Kogan's show. I'm your host, of course, Jonathan Kogan. It's great to be with you. Super happy to be with you today on this beautiful, sensational Friday. So a couple crazy things going on, unprecedented things going on, absolutely bananas. No other way to say it. So Europe, with the probably the help of the United States, they're trying to, or they are, they're going to implement a price cap on Russian oil, on Russian natural gas. So this has really never been done. And anytime price caps have ever been used anywhere, um, let's just say it has not worked very well. So this is very dangerous territory. And even now, the European Central Bank is actually issuing a warning. Actually, I wasn't going to start with this. I was going to start with the video from Peter Zion, who I think explains it the best, which I'll get to very shortly. But we'll start with a CNBC article. European Central Bank warns that EU gas price cap risks financial stability. So basically, if you have a commodity, okay, let's say you sell oil, right? And someone else happens to own the financial system in the world of the world or where that oil gets put onto the quote unquote open market. And everybody who is buying on that open market says, you know what? If it's coming from that person over there, we're only going to pay $60. Even though it's the real free market price is $90. If you want to sell it, we're only going to pay $60. So this brings up a few really interesting points. So first of all, the European Central Bank is warning that it might cause financial risks, financial stability. The EU has been in intense discussions for several weeks over how to impose a limit on gas prices and discussions continue ahead of a, of a meeting Tuesday. The ECB, hat, the European Central Bank, has in the meantime warned that the measure could have repercussions for financial markets and the comments are in line with concerns raised by countries such as Germany, who's deindustrializing as we speak, and the Netherlands, who they're going after their farmers as we speak so we can't eat meat which have asked for stronger guarantees that the cap is not going to disturb markets. Is this a joke that the cap's not going to dis disturb markets? This is literally Russian roulette, okay? Let me tell you why it's Russian roulette. Because Russia, that's funny, it's Russian roulette when it's with Russia. No pun intended. All right, pun intended. And uh, Russia is saying, we're not going to sell to anyone who has a price cap on our goods, on our, on our $60. We're not going to sell to anyone with a price cap. Europe and obviously China is probably gonna be like, we'll pay you whatever because we have to import energy, we have to import food, so we're down. So they'll just back channel to to China probably. <clears throat> but as far as Europe, they're in a standoff, which is they use Russian oil and Russian natural gas greatly because uh, Joey Joe, aka Joe Biden, doesn't want drilling in the U.S. and using American oil, even though we have one of the best natural resources in the world, but instead would negotiate with a communist country like Venezuela and open up their oil rigs, which is probably with child labor and slaves and whatever they do in communist countries. If you're in, if you're in Venezuela, shout out. I don't know. I'm just told it's really rough out there. I'm sure it's fantastic. But uh, um, that the oil in in Venezuela and and giving all the money to the regime in Venezuela because I doubt it gets to the people it's a communist country so it's all centralized the state is the power instead of paying workers in the US and expanding our economy and creating more jobs it really makes sense to go to a communist country and and drill there it, it's very bizarre okay i don't know if that puts me on a side of the political aisle to have that stance i'm just very confused it just doesn't make any, i from an apolitical point of view and a very pro strong economy point of view, 
I would like to have more jobs in the United States. I would like to have uh, more reliance on our own country for national security purposes and not rely on communist countries who hate us. Um, yeah, that's pretty far out there. I know I'm an extremist. What can I say? No, I'm apolitical who thinks with my brain, with God-given critical thinking skills, which you have too, okay? People have forgotten that. I don't know where it went. I don't know what the event was, even though I think I do. I think it was the election of Donald Trump. It made everybody insane. But hopefully we can all come back to homeostasis and realize the world doesn't revolve around one human being, which is bizarre in itself, which I, I crazy. Let's just like put that aside and come back to homeostasis, like, you know, Homeostasis, I said, like, you know, how things were in like 2011 or 2006, you know, things like that. Things were, things were juicy. Things were gravy. Everybody was on the beach dancing, laughing. You know, yes, people lost houses and lost everything in like 2008, 2009, but whatever. It was still okay. People didn't lose their fucking brains. Excuse my language. Anyways, back to the meat, the crux, the butter, the toast. Um, so here's the Russian roulette scenario. Forgot to go with that. Russia won't sell to the people with a price cap, which is a large part of that is Europe. Europe needs the oil to function as a literal civilization. We like to hear we, we people throw on crazy terms like it's normal. Like we need to save democracy. That's a very bizarre thing to say. That's a very it's like saying we need to save the country. Like it's very it's so out there. It's the, 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 I, find, I don't know how that became normalized. It's very weird. Imagine in 2008 people going, hey, we need to vote to save democracy. What? Like what? We, we need to vote to save democracy. What are we on the are we on the verge of, of of losing everything? Like what 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 happened here? Uh okay. Anyways, they need oil and natural gas to function as civilization. Fossil fuels, whether you like them or not, we love Earth. So if they're bad for the Earth, we don't like them. But we like humans, and we like humans living, and we like people to have heat and shelter when it's cold, like in Germany and and the UK. But Europe saying we're not going to buy the oil, except that's the only oil they get. You know, it's most of the oil they get. And Russia's not going to sell it to them. So who's going to bite first? Because if Russia goes down, Russia can cut no more than 1.5 million barrels per day. Any more than that, and it will be permafrost production, which they can't turn back on, which in layman's terms means their pipes will freeze and they cannot turn their they cannot uh, turn the production back on. It's over. It's done. Nilch. Done. Zero. Kaput. They can cut no more than 1.5 million barrels. So they're going to cut as low as they can because no one's bought. You know, the big players aren't buying it. But the big players also, you know, they're going to go all the way down to their civilization can't function and businesses can't open. And houses have no heat. Otherwise, they're going to have to buy it. So this is going to be amazing to watch. It's going to be very sad because someone's going to lose and people are going to die. But that's the price we got to pay to save democracy. No, I'm kidding. That's really sad. It sucks. I don't know what else to say. So uh, let me play the clip from uh, Peter Zion, uh, who is um, – I don't agree with with 100%, but he explains it really well. Uh, you you probably just got the snippet from me. You probably totally understand what's going on because I explain things like a savant. I know that's what you're thinking, right? Uh, so let me play his clip again, donating patreon.com forward slash ownership economy, subscribe to the Jonathan Kogan show and follow at K O G Z on Twitter. Because again, we are bullish on the creator monetization that Elon Musk will create one day. And, um, and yeah, we're going to be the top podcast on Twitter. 
That's just the way it is. I'm sorry about that. No, I'm not sorry about that. It's going to be well-deserved because we're putting out a video every single day and podcast, whatever. All right, Peter, take it away. Thanks, buddy. Russia will still be able to export their crude to international markets, but there is now a price cap in what they can ask. Uh, it's currently, it's set at $60, although they will change that over time based on happens, what happens with international energy prices. The enforcement mechanism is that the Europeans dominate global insurance and global maritime services, and that any vessel that is carrying crude that is above that $60, that was the sale point, won't be able to access any European financial or physical services. So that's port access, that's insurance policies, and without a maritime insurance policy, your vessel cannot enter port, exit port, or leave a constrained waterway, say like the Suez Canal or the Turkish Straits. Now, this is, this is unprecedented in any number of ways, and so I really don't know how it's going to play out. So the purpose of this video is less to give you a firm forecast, but to give you an idea of kind of the, the matrix of factors and what matters uh, so that you can kind of draw your own conclusions and have some idea of what to look for. The first Side most- note, funny he said matrix, and if you're listening to John the Kogan show, you know you popped out of the matrix. Shout out, no matrix. The most important thing to keep in mind is that not all crude oil is made equal. Crude oil is not fungible. You can't take crude from a Texas field and put it into a refinery that was designed for crude from a Saudi Arabian field and vice versa. And even within Russia, we have multiple crude grades. The first one, the one that matters the most, is called Ural's Crude, U-R-A-L-S. It is basically everything that comes from the northern or western Siberian projects, as well as a lot of stuff that comes from southern Russia. It's all put into the same network and sent west to export points via pipe that go through Ukraine or Belarus to Europe or to ports on the Black Sea or the Baltic Sea. And collectively, you're talking here about about five, maybe five and a half million barrels a day in every given moment of which about half of which is exported. Now, if, if, if this cap goes wrong and the Russians decide that they're not going to produce at a price that they cannot influence, much less control, then what would happen is pressure would build up in the pipes all the way back up to the wellheads. And since this is in permafrost, when the oil stops flowing in permafrost, it turns to gel, becomes a plug in the pipeline, and the water that comes up as a byproduct freezes into ice. And when water freezes, it cracks the pipe from the inside, and it takes years, if not decades, to repair that sort of system. The last time this happened at scale, it was 1992. And in 1992, everything went, it took the Russians 30 years to repair the damage. Only most of the repair work was not done by the Russians. It was done by oil services firms, and they are no longer operating in Russia for the most part. Now, will this happen again? That is the open question. This is a prediction that I made back in, I want to say, April when the world was just going on. It looked like we were going to get see significant shut-ins, and we did to the tune of about a million barrels a day. But not all of the inputs that go into Ural's crude come from Western Siberia and the permafrost. There's about a million, maybe a million and a half barrels a day that come from more temperate locations like Tatarstan and Bashkuristan. And so when the demand profile dropped off and the Russians were left with that pressure in the pipes and was building up to the wellheads, they chose to shut off the wells in Tatarstan and Bashkiristan because they knew that they could start those up later. They knew they wouldn't have the freezing issue. And that allowed the Russians to get around it. This time around with the export ban, or the fact that the insurance ban expands in January to be a lot more cohesive, 
It's an open question of what will happen first and what will happen fastest. And we're going to see if the price cap has an impact. Uh, the second thing that's happening with Urals is that the Turks, who are one of the world's larger importers of Ural crews, have decided to abide by the price cap. And since they control the Turkish Straits, the Bosphorus and the Dardanelles, that allows about one and a half million barrels a day of Urals to reach the wider world, that's a really big deal. Now, the Turks are doing this not necessarily because they've taken a hard line on all things Ukraine war, but they see an excellent opportunity here. They're one of the few countries that has any sort of position in the Russian system. The Russians will still talk to the Turks. And so <laughs> they're making the most of it. They import about 300, 350,000 barrels a day. And if they can get a shout out Turkey for having some of like the oldest, like, architectural things made by humans like amazing ancient apocalypse on netflix is really really good highly suggest you watch it it's just good and it just and i saw ephesus which was in turkey which was like a, a city that was excavated this is totally off topic but it's very important and it was excavated from like under the uh, like a uh, like land because all you know over time things build up and it was like a, a total city that was intact that supposedly jesus walked on like the real jesus you know and uh, it was like a real city. There was a library. There was a brothel that Jesus hit up all the time. And it was, and there was like a like a, not a stadium, but like a venue for like plays and stuff. It was it was really cool. And then in Ancient Apocalypse on Netflix, they show they show there's literally structures like humans built like 14 stories of a building all underground. It's unbelievable. It's like a it's like a village underground. Like they were expecting a disaster or something. It's really really crazy. So shout out Turkey for having some of the coolest structures in the world permanent discount on all of that they're like sweet uh, and they're perfectly willing to cooperate uh, the other chunks of Ural's crew that are seaborne go out from the Baltic Sea and that's where I would expect a security issue to be a bigger concern because you're then sailing by a number of countries that are pathologically hostile to all things Russian Estonia Latvia Lithuania Sweden Finland Poland uh, I can easily see some of them kind of sticking their Coast Guard out there and grabbing a ship or two to inspect to make sure that they're following the rules. And if they find out that they're not, then all of a sudden the insurance comes into question and should Storm want to go in to uh, the port of Primorsk uh, on the Russian coast where the discouragement point is. And that's how we would get roughly another million and a half that it would be back up. Now that by itself is the absolute maximum that could be disrupted without actually hurting the broad scale of what goes on in Siberia. It would need more than this, but I think that's where we're most likely to see the disruption in terms of security concerns. Okay, that's all Euros. There's one other crude blend that the Russians have. It's called ESPO, the Eastern Siberian Pacific Pipeline. And it takes crude from Eastern Siberia and sends it through a very, very long pipe route to get to uh, Nikodka, which is their port near Vladivostok. The east coast of the Eurasian landmass going to the Pacific Ocean. Now, most of this crude goes to Japan, Korea, China, and India, much closer physically to the eastern markets than the Urals disgorgement points are. Also, because the Europeans are not involved on that side of the continent, we don't see the same split in pricing. So, Urals is already selling at somewhere between $20 and $35 a discount. And so, it's very close to the $60 price cap that's. Uh, the new regulations require. Once you get to the East Coast, it's more a um, no one wants to feed a little dirty. And so the price discount is only between $5 and $15. This is where we're going to find out 
whether or not the insurance policy shift and the price cap shift actually has a real long-term impact. Because these are areas that if there ever was a national interest in building a domestic insurance system to get around what the Europeans are doing, this is where we do try it. Because the Europeans are on the other side of the continent. There's been a lot of resentment that Europeans have controlled this financial space for so long anyway. And I can see the Chinese in particular having a reason to try to offer their own insurance policies in order to just get away from that system and the price cap altogether. Here's the problem. The Chinese are terrified of secondary effects. They realize they have no friends left in Washington. They realize they have very few friends left in Brussels. They realize that their economic system is in trouble, and they realize that their own demography is so atrocious that they are incapable of making any sort of transition to a consumption-led system. So they like the idea of the Russians not being destroyed in this war, and they really like the idea of not having to lash themselves to the Russians and offering a national insurance indemnification system for the sole purpose of getting around a European sanctions regime that is likely to be perceived in Europe as a relatively hostile act. And they don't know what the Europeans will do next, much less if the Americans get involved. So I actually see this being, instead of a broad scale system that the Chinese punch into, each individual country having to make the decision for their own oil imports, whether they want to do it for themselves. So Chinese insurance for Chinese shipments, Indian insurance for Indian shipments. It kind of diffuses the anger that might boil up out of the European capitals and makes it less likely that it will be a harsh response. Now, that might not be great for the price cap, but it also means the Chinese are going out of their way to abide, at least in part, by the sanctions regime going forward. So I, uh, that's the part that I don't know if I can totally agree with because it also – all of this – happens at the same time and i'm pulling it up if you're watching this which is china this is reuters 13 hours ago china to use shanghai exchange for one energy deals with gulf nations so china's president xi jinping said in uh Radeo or whatever on friday that china and gulf nations should make full use of the shanghai petroleum and national gas exchange as a platform to carry out one settlement of oil and gas trade he's getting everybody to use the shanghai exchange and for energy that is a massive shift and you see what's going on with saudi arabia and how they hate america right now and the only reason that a big reason why the united states even has the world reserve currency is that petrodollar and you see saudi arabia inching closer to russia uh mbs uh uh you know who's the the emperor whatever you call it of saudi arabia i love you guys uh you, the the big dog sorry no offense i mean your majesty i forget what you guys call him i listen i'm hey saudi arabia fans i am literally most almost you guys are like definitely top three of most bullish company or most bullish countries in the next 10 years to live for sure so don't hate on me for i'm not disrespecting the culture i think your vision 2030 is going to be amazing and saudi arabia is going to be a a landmark place to live by 2030 i, I do believe that honestly uh but uh, uh, so Saudi Arabia, MBS negotiated the deal with Brittany Griner and the Merchant of Death. Uh, it's a funny trade. Hey, we got Brittany Griner. You got the Merchant of Death. Um, so that trade was negotiated by MBS, who is the head of Saudi Arabia, the the, the prince. Um, and so 
it was kind of a favor for Russia more so. And Russia is in bed with China and they're getting closer together. So I think we're, I think when you see President Xi say to use Shanghai Exchange for Energy with Gulf nations, that's a big, big deal. That's a big shot. That is a big shot. And so that's why I don't totally agree uh, with with Peter Zion, but let him sum up uh, what he's saying uh, in the next you know minute here. And then, uh, you know, we can get back to it. But I think that's a th- that came out after he did this. So maybe he wasn't considering this, but take a listen to the last minute 30. Now, that's a lot of minutia. If you're looking for a single big takeaway, here it is. We've had more or less a single global price for oil since 1945. The Americans have provided freedom of the seas and we've had a single currency model in order to undergird all the financial sides of things. That's going away. We now have two different price points just for Russian crude without a security incident on the high seas, which is almost certainly coming in the Baltic Sea. And we now have multiple countries that are getting involved, establishing sequestered lines of supply from specific countries to specific countries. You break things up like that. And there is no longer an interest for any of the countries that have a large navy for keeping global shipments safe for this stuff on a global scale. They will be increasingly curious and interested in only the cargoes go from places of interest to themselves. And in that sort of environment, the temptation to mess with someone else's supply lines are incredibly high. We are very rapidly in energy terms, getting back to the world of the 1930s. And for those of you who know your 1930s strategy and economic patterns, I think you can identify. Fun. Yeah, the 1930s was the Great Depression, which we've been warning about on this podcast for some time, that all this nonsense that's going on the past few years is to cover up for a global financial collapse bring in central bank digital currencies, trying to warn the people, but people love centralized control. People are obsessed with government controlling their lives. It's a very bizarre time, but it is what it is. You know what I mean? If you're listening to this podcast, you're out of the matrix, you're free. You're trying to become independent, create parallel economies, work with localized businesses, you know, create your own community or be a part of this community, which you're always welcome. So, and now I want to play a quick clip of the mainstream news covering this. So let's hear what the mainstream, let's hear what people in the mainstream are hearing about uh, what's going on with the price cap. So here's when they ask a question about it uh, to gas buddy, uh, which by the way, was a client of mine like 10 years ago. Um, So gas buddy CEO, this is on uh, ABC. Yeah. ABC news. This is what they're hearing about it. Very interesting to see how this will affect prices. Now, Russia has responded to retaliate uh, or or has said it will retaliate by simply not exporting oil. This is a, a very high stakes uh, game, uh, essentially a Russian roulette where Europe needs the oil. Uh, Russia has promised not to deliver for companies that respond to this price cap. Uh, it could be a long and cold winter for Europe and a difficult one, uh, but that may not impact supplies just yet. Okay, well, that's all I want to play with that. But he's right. I mean, he's right. He's right. This is crazy where I mean, literally the West, what we call the West, the free world, the once free world. I don't know if it was ever free, but it's not free now. But like the US, the UK, Australia, you know, the West destroying ourselves. And if you listen to Putin's speech, his speeches, if you listen to the man, okay, he says we need to enter a multipolar world. The, The homogeny of the United States being a single world order 
and basically we owning everything ever since the collapse of the Soviet Union. No one can even compete with America. And the only way America falls is from within. And you're seeing that with your own eyes in real time, in real time. And they want a multipolar world. And a multipolar world is there's all sorts of, of uh, there's many superpowers. And if you even look, by the way, if you ever want to see the future, just go, uh, the World Economic Forum puts out these little videos of like, you know, it's, it's like a video of like, cars and then on the bottom says we need to go electric dot 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 and then it's got pictures of a per a charging state like it's one of those like kind of flip through videos you can go on there at wef i believe on on twitter all of them have come true by the way they're all they all of them have come true they predict the future somehow perfectly and they say by 2030 the united states will not be the only superpower there will be many superpowers and it shows flags of like 30 nations. And the most prominent flag that you could see in that video, by the way, and that in that clip, it's actually the you will you will own nothing and have no privacy and you've never been happier video. Um, which by the way, um, I got a car today and I am not happy. So fuck you, Klaus Swab. You're losing twice on that. All right. I do own something and no, I am not happy. So what's up now? Bitch. Uh Sorry, excuse my language. I just I get mad when we talk about Klaus. Um, and those are true statements, by the way. Those are true statements. I don't only tell you the truth, only but the truth will help us God. Uh so um so yeah, in that video, we're gonna have many superpowers by 2030. Oh, by the way, every agenda of the government's 2030, 2030, 2030, 2030. Um, and so yeah, there's gonna be many superpowers. We're going into that multipolar world. You're seeing China make their moves, decoupling from the US. And I think the West is destroying themselves. I think the East is, is gaining more power. I think it's pretty clear what's happening. And I'm worried when you mess with energy and food and money, those are the things that are being messed with right now. That is how you control a population, a massive population. And you're seeing it in real time. It is what it is. So is this price caps do not work. And you even heard from Zion, Peter Zion, who's pretty, he's definitely an expert on geopolitics, has been right a lot, says we're potentially going back to the 1930s. Go study the 1930s. They were lovely. No, they weren't lovely. They were terrible. In fact, the 1930s is what bred to the rise of your boy, not your boy, a horrible man, Adolf Hitler. That's how bad it was. The 1930s were so bad that that's how Adolf Hitler rose to power. That's how bad it was. People were desperate and wanted, I don't know, they, and, they, and, they, and they elected a guy with one testicle and a mustache that looks like a schmuck. And then he started killing all my people. Nuts, crazy, horrible, awful. And if we go back into that territory and things get so bad where they can't heat their homes up, who the, what the hell is going to happen? We're, people are going to praise to have a dictator. They're going to ask for a dictator. This is insane. This is insane. You're being warned 9 million times. By the way, a very credible source says that the beginning of the market collapse that I'm telling you about, I don't think it's till next year, but this guy is definitely an expert. He says it's going to be next week and all the signals have been hit. That's the beginning of it, but definitely Q1. So, you know, definitely want to own some physical commodities. Um, probably actually, oddly enough, want to hold some cash so you could deploy it. Um, but stock market, liquidity crisis is going to be a disaster. Didn't want to get into that, though. So, yeah, that's what I got today. Uh, oil price cap will not work. It will be a disaster. Um, either my the listeners in Europe, uh, either you're going to get real cold and die in the next couple of years. No, seriously, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. Hopefully, you know, you can afford your energy bill. I heard they're already crazy high. Let me know. I'd be curious to know, like, if they, have they doubled, if they tripled, if they, are they quadrupled? Like, what is it? Uh, and in the U.S., they're rising. And the U.S. is way better off than Europe. Like, pff, we're setting you guys up for failure. And if you're in Germany, we really 
are showing that we don't care about you. I mean, it's a disaster. And I love you, Germany people, because we have a lot of listeners there. I love Germany, love Saudi Arabia. We got a lot of people in Albania. We got people everywhere. And I love all of you. This is about humanity. That's it. Point blank. Shots fired. We are about freedom. We are about not controlling our lives. Get out. Let us be free. Let us eat meat. Let us drive our own vehicles with combustion engines. I mean, I'm down with the electric if that's what we got to do. But if we want combustion, then let's combust. <sighs> Love busting. Okay. That's all I got for today. Subscribe to the Jonathan Cogan Show. Patreon.com forward slash ownership economy. Five ninety nine a month. Donate. Emancipate. Proclamate. Votivate. Adabate. I have nothing to rhyme it with. Just donate. Be a, be a great listener. Be a good fan. I'd appreciate it. Subscribe. Share with one person. Do the good deed. Let's take this thing to the top. At KOGZ on Twitter. We are taking it to the moon. All right, guys. Take care. God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.